Welcome to the Financial Fitness Bunny Podcast, your number one stop shop to all things money management. My name is Nicolette Mashile. I am, of course, your host. I'm also known as the Financial Bunny, and I'm here to put lipstick on that money pig. Before I get into this week's book, I need to apologize again for this late and very delayed podcast. Guys, I have been actually struggling quite a lot with my health, but also more than just um, struggling with it, I think I had for the first time in my life understood this saying that health is wealth because if you are not healthy there is really very little that you are able to do just getting up in the mornings and being positive and you know uh, having the energy to be able to do some of the things that you really really enjoy doing it 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 is actually a privilege that i think many of us take for granted because when we are healthy we don't really think about investing into our health um so i do i want to appeal to every single one of us that every year go and do a yearly screening find out if there is anything lurking yes you may do the screening today and the disease comes up in a month or two um it happens and that's kind of what happened to me um yeah i got caught up with a lifestyle disease that i'd never in 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 ages or even in my wildest dreams or my wildest nightmares ever thought I would be diagnosed with such a disease. Um, And it's been difficult. I'm going to be very fair. It's been difficult to manage because the majority of it is pain. And you know that pain is closely associated with um, depression and being down all the time. Um, For the type of energetic person that I am, this has been quite a big adjustment for me to make, taking medication every single day. But in any case, let's get into that podcast. Today's book is going to be How to Invest Like Warren Buffett, Discover the Wisdom of the World's Greatest Wealth Creator, and it's by media entrepreneur and founder of biznews.com, Alec Hogg. It's quite an interesting book and for me, you know, often when when you have a conversation with people, especially um, as somebody that's had the privilege of authoring a book and publishing it, one of the things you get asked quite a lot is, who is the book intended for? And I must say, this book for me is intended for everyone. It's an easy read. Alec Hogg has done a very tremendous job in really, you know, bringing us closer to to Warren Buffett. Many of us have heard about Warren Buffett. Many of us know him. And if you work in the investment space and wealth creation space, he's probably somebody you may at some point in your life look up to or still look up to, you know. He's a great, great man who's done exceptionally well especially with Berkshire Hathaway. Um, It's just absolutely amazing what Warren Buffett has been able to do. He probably is the one person that shows you that investing, especially in the stock market, actually works. So this book, as I said, is for anybody, whether you're a first-time investor and you're like, how do you actually do this? Or whether you work in the space and you're trying to figure out what's actually happening, how do you read the market? Can you use some patterns to be able to start paving a a direction in terms of your approach when investing for your clients? I absolutely like the book. I mean, um, Alec Hogg is obviously a veteran financial journalist and he is just a seasoned person to write this book. You know what I mean? It's not a somebody that picked up on 
the whiff of who Al, uh, uh, Warren Buffett is and decided to pen a book down. This is somebody that is an expert in the space that he is writing in and you can see he studied Warren Buffett for, for, for many years. Now, this book for me is just, it, it really talks about how to make money with investments. Obviously, there's various ways in which you can make money. We've talked about, you know, going into real estate. Um, and Warren Buffett has dabbled in that space. We've talked about, you know, entrepreneurship. Well, we talk rather about entrepreneurship a lot. And this man really shows you how to play the investment game. Now, of course, in this book, you're going to get a whole lot of other people who are contributing to the conversation of Warren Buffett. You know, they talk a little bit about, you know, you've, you've got Benjamin Graham, for instance, who speaks about, you know, Warren Buffett's life, you know, um, and, and the book that changed Warren Buffett's life. He's, of course, of a genius himself in the investment space. Um, and he became Warren Buffett's greatest influence, you know, so... I think it's really about just understanding what are you looking for in the book? I think that's if you, before you actually pick this book up, ask yourself the question, what am I actually looking for? I'm trying not to give too much away about the book. Um, but it also starts to look at some of the philosophies that Warren Buffett believes in. One of the biggest one is the fact that, you know, Warren Buffett doesn't believe in over-diversification. He believes in, you know, really making sure that you are putting your eggs in one basket, but watching that basket very, very closely. He speaks about the margin of safety um, as being the central concept of investment, what it is, how it works. I, I, I absolutely love this book. And one of the best chapters in the book is The Buffett on Life. And um, uh, Alec Hogg speaks about Warren Buffett. Um, the real appeal of Warren Buffett stretches far beyond his sensible wealth-creating investment advice. He is actually very humble and an old-fashioned Midwest value type of guy. He's a role model for many people around the world. But part of his appeal is his direct, clear thinking and his refusal to be pigeonholed. I like that. You know, often people think that they have to go with the masses. They've got to go with what everybody thinks. And it's not always like that. Sometimes it's really about sticking to your guns, believing what you believe in and having the backup to be able to believe in it. You know, I think many of us sometimes we're not very clear on um, what it is that we believe in, why we hold a certain viewpoint on certain things. And it's easy to be then swayed by the masses because if they give you a, some somewhat of an indication that what you are saying does not make sense or it cannot be justified or it can be refuted, you then sway with the, with, with, with the masses. Of course, this also does not mean that you must have, you know, or suffer from confirmation bias where you just believe a certain way of doing things because you believe it and it's always been like that. I do think what Warren Buffett does very well is having that backup to be able to stand against his actual view or stand for his viewpoint. Now, in this chapter, they also, uh, Alec Hogg also writes about best investment you can ever make. Now, Buffett's response to a question often asked of him would catch many left-brainers by surprise. The most important investment you can make is in yourself. I love that. I, abs I mean, we started off this talking about your health. Your health is investing in yourself, Right. He says very few people get anything like their potential horsepower translated into actual horsepower to of their output in life. Potential exceeds realization for many people. 
At an AGM, Buffett illustrated this by relating a story he often uses when meeting student groups. I want you to imagine you're 16 and I was going to give you a car of your choice today. Any car that you wanted to pick. But there's one catch. It was the only car you were able to have for the rest of your life. You have to make it last. So how would you treat it? Well, of course, you'd read the owner's manual about five times before you turn the key into the ignition. You would keep it garaged. Any little rust, you'd take it, you'd take good care of it immediately. You'd change the oil as twice as often as you were supposed to because you know it had to last you a lifetime. Then I tell the students, you get one body and one mind and it's going to have to last you a lifetime. So you'd better treat it the same way. You'd better start doing it right by now because it does not do any good if you start working on it when you're only 50 or 60 and the little speck of rust has turned into something big. big. Buffett reckons anything invested in one's mind and body pays off hugely. The best asset is your own self. You can become an enormous degree of the person you want to be. How beautiful is that? That's absolutely fantastic. And it leads me to today's conversation. Today's conversation is obviously biased or I am rather biased towards it because obviously this is the space that I work in. But I want to tell you guys, you know, some of the testimonies of some of the work that we've done. Um, So today I want to speak a little bit about investing in financial literacy and consumer financial education. Why? Because we need to talk about the importance of why money does matter. Often you know, people would like to to downplay the importance of having money or managing your money well. And they'll make you sound as if you are some sort of, you know, prude or someone who's stuck up because you're always talking about money or you're always talking about how you invest in your money or how you take care of your money or how you manage your money. Today, I want to remind you that it is self-preservation to take care of your finances. It is self-preservation. Financial education is not motivation. Financial education is actual tools that help you maneuver financial management. That's really what it comes down to. Why do I say this? Well, often I get a lot of people that say to me, Yo, you know, Nicolette, we know so much about your financial life, but we know so little about your personal life. People are often trying to understand who I am, who am I dating? (laughs) You know, what do I do in my spare time? I've even gone as far as people making fun of me and saying, oh, I would never date you because all we're going to talk about is money. Or, you know, at least if I'm dating you, I know my my personal finances are going to be managed well. Well, unfortunately, it's not by osmosis now, really, is it? You know what I mean? You've got to know the financial education yourself to be able to use it. Why? Because it's a tool. So just because we've got a car in the home doesn't mean everybody becomes a driver, right? You've got to have your own license and an understanding of how to operate a motor vehicle for you to be able to drive. That's what it comes down to. And that's exactly what financial education is. Personal finance management is not something that's going to happen because you hang around with people who are doing it well. It only will happen if you start to understand and invest in that tool. So I always think about, you know, when people come to me and they say, oh my goodness, Nicolette, I was able to save up a deposit for my home because you told me to do that or you taught me how to do that rather. Financial education ultimately is an empowerment tool. It is the ability to be able to understand, for instance, credit agreements. You know, I always tell people, if you don't understand credit agreements, 
you will suffer because you will end up paying so much in interest back to the lender because you did not structure your credit agreement correctly. Financial education is being able to go back to a bank and say, I don't want to take this loan because the interest rates you guys have offered me is way too high in comparison to what other banks are willing to offer me. So therefore, I am taking my business to another bank. Financial education is being able to negotiate the interest rate that you are offered from a financial institution because you are well aware of what your credit score is. And in fact, over the years, you have intentionally worked on your credit score. You have paid your minimum payment repayments every single month. You have kept your credit utilization below 50%. You have made sure that you only have a credit inquiry when it is necessary. You've ensured that you do not have any types of identity theft. You have made sure that you've got a good mix of credit lines and you nurture them and take care of them. So if you are somebody who's doing that, that is a tool that you are using for the day you are going to go out there and apply for a home loan, a car loan, student loan. You are probably somebody who's going to be able to sit there and negotiate for better terms and conditions on your credit agreements. Why? Because you have used the tool of understanding that one needs to take care of their credit score and their credit report. Financial education is not motivation. I'm not going to stand there and say to you, if you become financially educated, you will drive the car of your dreams. No, it is me saying to you, put down a deposit, take care of your credit score so that you can drive the car of your dreams. It's not something that we, we say, guys, one of my biggest irks in life is a saying that goes, if you learn more, you will earn more. What? If you learn more, you'll earn more. So are you telling me that if I learn that, for instance, my insurance policy will pay out if I have a financial loss, will that help me earn more? No, it will not. But what it will do is that if you learn more, you will earn more if you put it into action. The reality is, and I tell the story all the time, it's one of my favorite stories, just before the COVID um, lockdown. There's a young lady who met me at a talk. In actual fact, it was a health is wealth talk. I don't know why that is like the theme of the day today. It was at a health and wealth talk. And she said to me, Nicolette, I actually want to invest in retrenchment cover. And she didn't know why. She was like, what do you think about retrenchment cover? And I was like, well, look, I mean, as somebody who does not work a nine to five, I do think that retrenchment cover isn't something that is applicable to my life. But however, in your life, it may just be one of the most applicable things that you will ever get because you don't know what the industry is going to look like in a couple of years. So retrenchment cover at least covers you for if you are retrenched and you do have, you know, financial obligations, you are able to still make those financial obligations. She said, okay. I said, but remember, there are things like your credit card that may have a retrenchment cover. There are things like, you know, other financial policies or insurance policies that you may have already taken that do have a retrenchment benefit. So go and read all of your insurance policies. Read them. Read to understand. And she was like, okay, so what do I look out for? I say, look out for those specific words. Call 
call the assurance companies and ask them. I've get I'm getting an understanding that from reading my policy document, it seems like I have a retrenchment benefit. Does it exist and how much is it? And she was like, "Okay, I'm going to go do that." She went and did that. But she didn't action it. She didn't actually go and action this retrenchment cover. Let me tell you, on the 21st of March, we got a hard lockdown that happened in this country. I think it was 21st of March. I can't remember that far back. And she called me and said, "Nicolette, we are getting letters of voluntary retrenchment from our company. What should I do?" I said, "But remember the conversation we had. You are covered." She said, "I'm actually not. Right now as I am speaking to you, I'm going through my policy documents to find some retrenchment benefit." Yo! I said, "Baby girl, I'm sure there's one there. Stay positive. Don't panic. Look for it." And she did and she found some. Yes, it was not to the value that she probably had needed, but at least it was there. So, the reality about a lot of personal finance management is that it is overwhelming. Yes. But we do it and we remind it to you in chunks and that's why you will see. I'm not going to sit on my YouTube channel and do one video that speaks about everything personal finance. We try chunk it up in different topics. And yes, it might not be important for you today because if I speak about cars, trading a car in for instance, it's not relevant to you. You might not be trading your car in, but one day you might need to. And you might need the information to be able to assist you. Give you another story. A couple of years ago, my partner wanted to buy a car. He went to the dealership, and the dealership said, "Okay, no problem. We'll give you a loan, but we'll give it to you from our dealership finance house. So you know you've got the different diff- dealerships, and they've got their own finance houses. They'll have like Mercedes Finance, BMW Financial Services, VW Financial Services. They were willing to give it to him from their own financial house." But do you know what he found out? They were willing to give to give him the car at 13.5% interest rate charge. When he took the same offer to purchase and went directly to the bank, the bank was willing to give him 2%, I mean 11%. So that means that the the car dealership's financial services hiked up his interest rate by 2.5%. Now that may seem very minuscule to a lot of people, but it's a huge amount of money that he saved himself 2.5%. In fact, what these car dealerships are doing is they're putting on a markup, a whole markup. Can you believe it? A markup. I mean, cars in this country are already over overcharged. They are really expensive. But to put on a markup of 2.5% in interest, it's it's unbelievable. It's actually unbelievable. So what was essentially going to happen is the car dealership was going to go to the bank and get the loan on behalf of this client, right? So they do their own thing. They get the loan. They've got all of the sureties. They get the loan. The bank gives them the one million rand needed at eleven point eleven percent. Then they come and they give the consumer the deal at thirteen point five. When the dealership, when the when the when the when the um, when when the consumer pays them, they retain a certain portion of that instalment every single month. I mean, how insane is that? It is absolutely crazy. Like it baffles me. And if you understand personal finances, these are some of the things that you are able to pick up very quickly because you question them. 
you question. So who is my actual credit agreement sitting with? Is it sitting with you guys at the dealership or is it sitting with the bank? You've got to ask these questions because when you ask them, it's when you start getting real answers. I love going to the banks directly. I don't want no bond originator going to the bank for me for a home loan. I don't want no dealership going to me to the I want to deal with the bank directly. So that is what I want to talk about today. And I want to leave it here because I don't want to make this podcast a very long podcast because I just wanted to remind you that it's a huge difference. Huge difference when you understand. I mean, many people have heard the story about my house or my first house that I tried to buy. And because of the um, suspensive clause in the offer to purchase, I ended up having to settle out of court because when a bank granted me a loan, I was now legally bound to buy that house. Yo! Had somebody just educated me on the offer to purchase, on a suspensive clause, that mistake would have never happened. I think if I remember in Teko Medici's book, that's also something that he found himself in that type of a situation where a bank was now willing to offer him the loan, but the terms and conditions of the loan didn't look good. So he re- he obviously refused to sign that, that grant from the bank. But the real estate agent is like, but look, the suspensive clause has been fulfilled. So you are actually legally obligated to buy the house. So now you sit with the problem. But if we just understand that information, transfer fees. Do you know how many people buy properties without knowing they need to have transfer fees and you've got to have it in cash? You need the money. If you're buying a 3 million rand house, just be very clear on the fact that your transfer fees are going to be north of 400,000. Where are you going to get 400,000 just chilling? Yeah. City. I always tell young people come to me and they say, do you think I should save a deposit on my house? I say, yes. But remember, you got to save double that deposit because one of it is going to be a deposit into the property and the other is going to be transfer fees. Because the, the more expensive your house is, the more transfer fees you gotta pay and if you're taking a bond remember there's also what we call bond registration fees so it's not just the transferring fees that you're gonna pay the lawyer for the house and the title deed it's also the bond lawyers from the bank who need to go and register your bond at the deeds office so it's important and then there's also a duty that you gotta pay sus if your house is above a million rand So buying a house, in as much as we all scramble, oh, one day I want to own my own property, it's good. There's nothing wrong with it. But are you prepared? Do you know what is expected of you when you are buying a home of your own? Do you know the fees that are associated? Do you know the insurance policies that you've got to take? It's important, guys. So please, please, please make sure that next time somebody says to you, Oh, you love listening to this motivation around money. It's not motivation. It is not motivation. And that's why some of us overshare our financial lives so that we can show you tangibly that it works. We want to show you that if you are... Look, I'm not going to sit here and say personal finance management and knowing financial education is what made me who I am today, the house that I've got, the car that I've got. But it helped me buy my stuff well. So whenever people say to me, what would you want to downgrade? I'm like, hmm, I can downgrade everything. I can downgrade drinking champagne every single weekend. But let me tell you what I'm not going to downgrade on is my Range Rover. Forget it. You know why? Because I bought it well. I negotiated to my fingers. I was like, nah, I put 
put a deposit. I mean, it was a trade-in. I still put a deposit because my previous car, I actually was able to trade in at a good price. So we used that balance as a deposit on the new car. And then I still negotiated the interest rates. I was like, uh-uh, who do y'all think you are? You better give me a good interest rate. You know why? Because I know my credit score. And I know I'm a good client for the bank. And if you don't want to, let me pack up my little things, pack up my credit card, pick up my personal loans, pick up my business account, pick up my check account, and let me move to another bank. That's just what it is. Because I am a good client for the bank. But I could only do this by understanding how to become a good client for the bank. That's my interest. That's my credit score. And of course, being a sustainable client that doesn't default, I pay. So it is important to understand. It's funny when, 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 when corporate companies ask me, can you please come and do a motivational talk for 30 minutes? I'm like, I don't do motivational talks. I do financial education. That's like saying we go to school for 12 years for motivation. No, guys. Come on, man. Education is education. Motivation is motivation. I'm not knocking motivation. I've been very open about how I don't like it. So it is important to make sure that when you are getting yourself financially educated, let that education work towards something. Personal finance is overwhelming. Choose what you need for a specific time in your life. If you are looking to buy a house, start getting financially educated about how to buy a house well. If you're looking to buy a car, do that. If you're looking to go into retirement, do that. If you want to understand what your package at work looks like, group life, pension fund, all of those benefits that you get, those are part of your personal finance management. So it's important, tax, to understand your tax. I mean... Years ago, I worked four or five jobs and they were all paying me differently. And at the end of the, of the SARS year, I had to pay SARS. They were paying tax for me. But when SARS calculates my income, they're like, hmm, so you've been underpaying your tax. Because remember, in each company, I fell in a certain bracket and they were paying according to that bracket. So it's things like this that you need to understand so that you can secure your financial future. I'm going to leave it at that. It's been an absolutely fantastic conversation. Of course, on yes, money does matter. Because let me tell you, it matters. But the problem is the day you find out that it matters, it may just be a little too late. I will see you guys on the next one. Please do remember none of what I say constitutes as financial advice. If you are looking for financial advice, please do consult with a FSCA registered financial planner or advisor. I'll see you guys on the next one.